Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm here with my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey, Hey Mary Beth. Hey there. You've been traveling so much lately. Are you about ready to come back down to earth for Paris and London and everywhere uh, else? Yeah, we had a great fall break trip over to Paris and London. It was a lot of fun. We had never been over there with the kids, had a great time. And then I went to a conference out in San Diego. And it was around that time when I was coming, about to come back. I have several friends who actually live out there in the LA area. And of course, they've been impacted by these wildfires going on. Yeah, my stepson's in LA. Yeah, um, a couple of my friends um, have had to actually be evacuated. Um, out of that area. And, um, you know, it just kind of reminded me a lot about I've kind of hit a big milestone. Um, yeah, your yeah. office burned down well, seven years ago. Which I still can't believe all of that that that, that happened with that. But it was I remember yeah, it's horrible. And I, and I can't believe it's been seven years, but it did remind me how much, you know, a crisis can really throw you into not only chaos, but coming from the other side of that, a lot of kind of a new outlook and a new way of doing things. And sometimes actually good things come out of crisis situations. It can really help you to you know, develop a, a new strategy and a new path forward. Well, and our guest today had a crisis of his own, and we'll introduce him briefly. But Mary Beth, what did you learn firsthand when your office burned down? I mean, what did you learn about dealing with a crisis that maybe you had not anticipated? Well, I think, number one, you have to be fast on your feet, and you have to be entrepreneurial in your um, approach to dealing with the public perception, I guess. I mean, one thing that when a crisis hits a public relations firm, you can't be the cobbler without any shoes. I mean, you have to have not only a, a plan, strategy. but yeah, and you have to demonstrate that and you're under media scrutiny. And I think with any crisis that happens, that it that is a big part of it is knowing what you're going to say, who you're going to say it to. And then there's the operational piece of it. How are you going to keep the lights on? How are you going to, and in my, in my case, it was a matter of just moving the whole team and being able to, you know, keep, keep going with the business. So it, it is amazing how much a crisis can refocus you. Absolutely. Anytime I've had any crisis in my business, it's fundamentally changed the way I do some aspect yeah, the way I handle some aspect of operations or the business. Right, right. Well, and I think that's just a perfect segue for us to introduce our guest today. Yes. So today our topic is crafting the entrepreneurial story. And I love this topic because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Mm-hmm. And we're thrilled to welcome an authentic, self-made American small business badass <laughs> who is forging <laughs> his own independent path. That was not on my on your script, guide, but yeah, but, um, it's my own personal <laughs> definition of this guy because I I love him and well, we're personal I'll, friends. Yeah, and I'll second that. Yes, and he can be described as anything but conventional, and that is Mark Hall, founder of Mark Nelson Denim, primarily a men's boutique based in Knoxville, Tennessee, but they also do make custom jeans for women and have some women's pieces. He is no stranger to having faced a crisis of his own in his entrepreneurial journey which has absolutely had him taking some unplanned and unpleasant twists and turns from which we can all learn. 
he is our friend who has emerged on the other side, a stronger person and a more prolific business owner. Mm -hmm. Mark Nelson Denham is a specialty retailer, like I said, based here in Knoxville, Tennessee, best known for high-end custom fit blue jeans, as well as other apparel. And we're going to talk to Mark today about his business path. I met Mark probably seven or eight years ago. Um, Hey, Mark. So good to have you here. Hey, Kel. How you doing? How's it going? All right. Long time no talk to you. Yeah. Um, how did we meet? I'm trying to remember. You came to my Christmas party one year. You're right. I believe Michael introduced him. Michael Toronto. Michael Toronto, mm-hmm. who was with Knoxville Opera at the time. And you came to my Christmas party. And I was like, who is that tall, handsome dude? Mr. Man. Drink of water. <laughs> drink of water. <laughs> who is that tall, handsome drink of bourbon? <laughs> bourbon. Side of Tennessee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great to have you here for uh, this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Starting off with a personal story that you have of growing up in Knoxville and just knowing what your ambitions were as a student, as a young man, I am really interested in kind of going back to the kind of the very start of your journey as a young person and what, you know, what shaped your experiences when you were growing up. And I, I found that so many business owners, they kind of know when they're very young, even in high school or or family members help to influence them uh, to take an entrepreneurial path, that seed is planted very, very early. So I really would like to kind of go back to these very formative years for you and and, sure and uncover that. Sure thing. Uh, well, for me, it started in elementary. Wow. Yeah, the Levi's plant played a huge uh it put me in the mindset of A, sewing, B, just making and having a responsibility to your community. So it played a huge role to me and not only myself, but family members and friends in the East Knoxville community. They, and, and, and that was the plant that was here. The in, Levi's yeah, plant, yeah, yeah over on Cherry Street. So yeah. it, it, it actually allowed those who didn't go to school, school high mm-hmm. school early, uh, or got out of high school early or go to college, uh, allowed them to pave the way for their friends and families and loved ones to have a better life. Uh, It allowed them to have um, benefits, uh, to buy a house, uh, a car. And for me, uh, my oldest brother shocked me when he came home with a nude Ford Escort. Do you guys remember those Ford Escorts when they first came Mm -hmm. out? And so Mm -hmm. he left high school, didn't go to college, worked at the Levi's plant and was, you know, able to buy a brand new car. And again, there were others that worked at the Levi's plant and that was their career move, but that allowed them to send their children to college and and create better lives for them. Though for me, I, I knew at an early age that I wanted to uh, have a part or play a part mm-hmm. in some kind of manufacturing sewing. Mm-hmm. Though at 12, also having uh, my oldest brother being 6'4 and 300 pounds and my youngest brother being 5'9 and 300 pounds, when we went outside to play football, I always ended up with the with that with the broken bones. And so I, <laughs> my mom said, Well, come and stay in here with me and sew. And so about eleven or twelve I learned to sew and that's where it started for me. So the Levi's plant and, and my mom teaching me to sew. And in high school I took tailoring. So a vocational would, were an option in high right, school. So you could right. take mechan- you know, auto mechanics, right. never- uh, tailoring, um, you know, home you know, whatever the uh, cooking, uh, brick masonry, uh, you know, the, the whole deal. After uh, graduating from high school, two years after that, the Levi's plant started to shut down. Yeah, yeah. So that impacted the community in a, in a huge way. Again, those that had that job were buying homes and, again, cars. Uh, now, you know, they didn't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. So that set the the stage for me and starting uh, Mark Nelson Denham. Yeah. Did your mom work <clears throat> for the Levi's plant? My mother did not. 
Uh, she just sewed, but my, my oldest uh, brother worked at the Levi's plant, and I had several other family members work there, but my mother did not work at the Levi's plant. So did you think early in your life, I want to have my own business so I can employ people and give them the same opportunities? Uh, again, it started, I wanted to basically just start off with a good job, and I thought it would be Levi's. But once mm-hmm. that plant shut down, mm-hmm. that was the immediate mindset that I wanted to create or, or start another uh, business that created jobs that the community was proud of. You know, at the Levi's plant, they they made a product right here in our own backyard. And we and our family members had a part in that and community of a product that wasn't just sold here locally, but Worldwide. you could find all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there wasn't a, a day that we would be outside waiting on our parents to pick us up. And all the kids in line, one of us, you had some either a jacket, a pair of jeans or something that was made mm-hmm. at the Levi's plant. So mm-hmm. it was it, it was truly a staple of the community. Yeah, that's really cool. Absolutely. Um, when you start, started Mark Nelson Denham, I would love to kind of step, go a few steps ahead here and understand what that process was like. And did you think about your business through the lens of it being a brand per se, or were you really just focused on the the task at hand of just doing the work that, you know, all these skills that you had developed over years that are very tactile, very functional skills. And I think a lot of business owners, when they go into that process of hanging out their own shingle and doing something where they're employing their talent and their skills, and they're also, you know, employing other people as well, very often they're focused on that work, that day-to-day work, and they aren't thinking necessarily as of yet about themselves as a brand or their company as a brand. So I would love to chart your path and on so, that. So for me, it was the opposite. Ah. Uh, and so I was very vain and I wanted a brand. Who cares what you make? I want this. No, I knew I wanted to go into the apparel business. Right. Uh, and so what I did was I went out to Los Angeles worked with a cut and sew facility out there. And it was, it was, it was actually about, I knew I wanted to make at the time stretch denim was not uh, a thing. And so I'd gotten, you know, introduced to that. And I was like, wow. And the name of my company, the start was barely denim. That was the first uh, name. And so we were going to do men and women's. Uh, And then as I started sourcing the product and, and making the samples and going through that process, the gentleman that I was talking to, mm-hmm. I asked for advice out in Los Angeles, and their advice was, "Stop! Don't do this to yourself. This is the crazy. You know, don't waste your time, your money. Or they was like the apparel business is the hardest thing in the world to do, and so save your money and don't kill yourself and go home and and buy a car or take a vacation." And I was like, oh, <laughs> "Wow! God. So yes. you weren't, weren't exactly, yeah, yes, you weren't that, exactly getting a the pat on the back of go for it." And at so. the time, I I, I did I, I looked at him and like oh, that was mean or that was yeah, why would you do that to someone? But now I totally understand. <laughs> Jesus, I wish I would. <laughs> I can relate some days. <laughs> yes, and yeah. so, but uh, barely denim was um, the start, and then when I realized quickly, mm-hmm. no matter, I mean, I didn't have the resources to do men and women's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. I would, it just would take too much because you have to make a pattern for every fit, you know, size and the whole deal, and with no true experience on launching a brand. I came to my senses and started off with just a men's line. Mm-hmm. And after we created the website and did the photo shoot and we were having a celebratory drink, my graphic designer and the, the, the young lady that was helping me at the time said, 
why would you call a men's line barely denim? That sounds awful feminine. I was like, damn it, it's been six months. You could have told me that six months ago. <laughs> and so, of course, I couldn't. At that, It was in my head. I couldn't sleep for the next two or three days going, damn, I can't care. Excuse me, I can't name this barely denim. <clears throat> and so that delayed the launch for six more months. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I guess that shed light for you on the power of having a focus group or floating ideas with other people. Yeah, you you got it. And so if I could go back and do it again, uh, the one thing that I would advise anyone, like you said, is a focus group. Mm. I I just I had my mind made up. I didn't really get true advice or, you know, and sit down and, and, you know, we had a blue sky meeting, but it was more on the terms of uh, fits and, and the whole deal. But yeah, you've got to go through A to Z from like you said, your branding is so important. And you guys know that as marketing, because um, <clears throat> if you don't have great branding, you could have diamonds and you've got absolutely nothing. You're just sitting somewhere with a bunch of diamonds. Nobody's yeah. So what year yeah. was that? That was in 2010. Okay. Yep. yep. Okay. That was about right. 2000, the end of 2010. So I worked on the brand really about two years before we actually launched. Wow. And your name is Mark Hall. So where did the Mark Nelson come into play here? So great question. After naming the damn line Barely Denim and then, <laughs> <laughs> and not going with that, uh, I went to the drawing board and uh, the basis was is that the the true influence, uh, not just from fashion, but just as a, as a person, was my great grandfather, and that C. L. Nelson. And uh-huh. so I and love having a family connection. I, I love integrating I that. Yeah, That's yeah, fabulous. Absolutely. And he was probably one of the sharpest dressed men yeah. that I know. He was a janitor at uh, TVA Credit mm-hmm. Union. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me and influenced me, <clears throat> no matter who you are, the janitor or the mayor, you always want to leave the house looking like a million bucks. No, wow. And so, you know, I had to put his name in. Uh, it's interesting. And, I, and I'll follow up with this. But my mother calls me Mark. Uh, and so my full name is George Marcus Hall. Don't you ever call me George, Dad? Uh, George Marcus Hall. You're in trouble now. I know, right? It's like, and so I'm a you third, asked for it. third generation of Georges. And so that's well, where, that's where we came up with yeah. uh, with Mark uh, Nelson. And uh, interesting enough, when I came back from Los Angeles, there was a building, the building that we're in now, that I started renting from. Some friends of mine that used to print my T-shirts introduced me to the owners of the building. I rented my first space was downstairs in the basement of that building, five hundred dollars a month for twenty five hundred square foot of space, wow. and that was all right. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. Not anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just superior negotiating skills on Mark's, uh, <laughs> Mark's behalf. But it's just three blocks yeah. away from my great grandparents' house, and so it's really oh, cool that that's uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I love it's really that. cool. So I, I do. I, I that's that's a strong, strong, strong history right mm-hmm. there in the downtown area that I'm connected to. So I I, I love that. Yeah. Did you ever think, did you ever have a, a moment where you thought, okay, I've made it, this business is going to be an incredible success? Well, yes, I, I did. And that was, I guess, four years ago now. And, I, and to be, mm-hmm. I, I can remember June, it was June 8th. I just got back from uh, Cabo celebrating and I was on my way to a major company here to uh, help design their company uniform and got pulled over by the Knoxville Police Department, and I was like, oh, driving in my brand new Porsche. I'm like, wow, I'm in 50 stores, and hallelujah, this is, I can't believe this dream has come true. And then the undercover IRS cops show up. 
and yeah. Um, yeah. out of body experience. And yeah. so, yeah, so I, it was it was short lived. It really was. And so, so, yeah. So let's kind of shift our course here and talk about. I mean, you had this viable growing business. You were. I mean, you just now said how many stores were you in, and what what fifty to fifty stores, uh, not including our own brick and mortar. Uh, we had a, a thriving e-commerce, and yeah. uh, actually, we were a little over fifty stores, but fifty major stores. We were living the dream. I mean, we had finally got to a point where the company was making money. I was actually writing myself a check, and, mm-hmm. and so here we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just but to, but then you kind of got into this side hustle of sorts, and that got you into some serious trouble, as you just mentioned. I mean, and then you had just received, I think, in that time period, the Chamber of Commerce Minority Business of the Year Award, you got it. and then. Everything started crashing down around you, so you've got to tell us what this, you know, what that part of the story is. You got it. So, so what I didn't talk about, or we failed to talk about, was how I started and funded the business. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually run an illegal gambling operation here mm-hmm. in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and so um, the IRS didn't like that. And so, um, <laughs> as the IRS is wont to do, <laughs> they they didn't like that. And so, yeah. uh, and it's you know, it's uh, it's a reality. And and so we were talking about how tragedy sometimes can, um, you know, change things. At the time, um, you know, I got arrested uh, for running an illegal gambling operation. Mm-hmm. They took basically everything I had. I actually had to go to prison for 14 months. Mm-hmm. I was sentenced to a 33-month prison wow. sentence, but uh, ended up serving 14 months. was able to get out by going to a uh, program called RDAP. It's a cognitive re- reprogramming mm-hmm. uh, drug rehabilitation. And so they cover a lot in that uh, program, but that allowed me to uh, come home earlier than mm-hmm. 33 months. I didn't think, honestly, at the time when I was uh, released from prison, that I would even continue running the business. Yeah. I was shell shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was. Well, Mark, you know, we talk on this podcast quite often about the entrepreneurial journey and my entrepreneurial journey. And I know when I started my business, I was a divorced single mom. I had no capital and I couldn't get it. Nobody would give me any money. I mean, what was your experience trying to start and run a business as a minority business owner? Is that the reason you turn to this dark side to fund fund your business? Uh, you know what? And I'm not going to point the fingers or blame uh, anyone for it, mm-hmm. but it was definitely, uh, yeah. So for for my um, apparel business, I mean, a guy who had you know really no experience in running a an apparel company, uh, the the easy out was yes, it, it was easier for me to go the dark to the dark side or run an illegal gambling operation. Uh, but for me, looking back. It was the people I surrounded myself with at the time. Mm. So, uh, you know, I I tried the traditional ways. And and for me, also, I didn't want to take the – I took the shortcut. You know, I could have potentially uh, built up enough credit, enough capital to – start a uh, an apparel business but i mean i would still likely be working on that yeah, i mean you know what i mean it would have taken a long time mm-hmm. and so the the opportunity uh came about from a, an old friend that said hey what do you think about this and you know here we go and had the opportunity kelly um i made the money to start the business and had several opportunities to okay say hey this this is to, now i can quit but Agreed is, you know, a whole nother uh, story that we could talk about. Yeah. Well, well, and that uh, that operation that you had, I mean, it was turning some serious cash. Right. So it was super hard to uh, turn that kind of money. Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard right. for anyone. And I, I'd say that to say, hey, you, you, I'm going to walk away from making, you know, 
a, a million, a couple million dollars a year or whatever. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is. It's, it, it was tough. Yeah. Well, backing up to, I uh, mentioned we met, you came to a Christmas party at our office and we knew each other from afar, but when we really got to be friends was when you got out of prison. So I remember the day it all blew up and I think everybody was shocked because you are you're a celebrity in our <laughs> yes. You're a celebrity in our town. And, and then I you got out of prison and I ran into you on Market Square and we were just chatting and we you said, Hey, I I'd love to get some advice on um, social media and using influencer marketing for my business. I'm trying to get it started back up. So we set up lunch. We go to lunch at the Oliver Royale and you were just so honest. And, and you had to pay because I didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've paid us back now by being here. So I don't remember good. if I paid or not. But no one's keeping score. Uh, no one's keeping score. But I, I just love the fact that you said, here's what happened. Yeah, and the honesty. I was like, yeah, you know, man, what happened? And you just were so honest and authentic that I think that that has really been what has kept people so rooting for you and cheering for you to make a comeback and and you have and it's funny that you say that um again the day that i got pulled over and i you know i thought you know wow i finally made it uh one of the things that i and i and i look back and reflect on now is i truly was as they were putting me in handcuffs or was having an out-of-body experience like who the hell is this going to, they're putting handcuffs on them and whoa and and uh and the days that followed that you know wow you, you think about what am I going to tell everyone? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. at the time, I, it, it's interesting living a lie. How much stress and pressure that can bring bring upon yourself. It's you know like what a I mean? double life it's kind a double, of thing. And I yeah. totally was, you know, James Bond in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like this guy who was running this gambling operation. Then I was this guy that was running this apparel business, and it was truly. You would think that I would be happy, but I was. I, I would, you know, for the last few months right before I got in trouble, I was constantly complaining about, man, something's not right. Something's not right. But you talk yourself into, you know, you're not going to pay attention to the obvious. And and so Karen um, in present life, when we ran into each other, um, Kel, it was, yeah, it was a weight lifted off my yeah. shoulder. And so, you know, after you finally went through the, pro- you know, the process of going to court and then finally going to prison, those first couple of weeks of prison, it was like, wow, man, I don't have to lie anymore. You know what I mean? Like, wow. yeah. So this is the next chapter in my life where I can be just transparent and, uh, you know, and whatever happens, happens, you know, and if people accept me and fine, if they don't, then too bad. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so you do, you get rid of, you, you lose that shell. And so. Uh, that's the fire, you know, burning up, and then you know the, the things that grow thereafter is is are the beautiful things. You know, it, it's obviously a horrible scene, and you never want to see tragedy happen to anyone. You speaking of those fires, but uh, the recovery can right. be a beautiful process, a right. beautiful thing, and yes. it is a process. And I mean, one of the most incredible things about your story is how your business survived while you were taken out of the picture for more than a year. I mean, that is that that part is really remarkable. I know that you had an incredible member of your team who was who was helping you with that, uh, you know, back at the shop, as it were. Um, you also had, uh, obviously, the bad media coverage, word of mouth making the rounds. You knew that you had to somehow deal with that ultimately in order to get back to reviving a legitimate business with Marcus Nelson Denham. So in terms of that recovery process and in terms of what you kind of just 
spoke about regarding what you were going through at the time, but then trying to come out the the positive side of that. What were the challenges when you were back in town and when you were back trying to resume the the business as the front face of that? I'll cover a few things that you mentioned. So one of the things that uh, you were just talking about when your business burnt down and the mm-hmm. thing, I think it's so important um, as an entrepreneur, but just as a, a person also, whether you're running a business or doing business or in the public's eye, it really matters how you treat people because you never know when Absolutely. you're going to need someone. It happened to you. And so, yeah, you got it. And so uh, I think um, that was the biggest thing because Kim, who was my employee while I was gone, stayed along and mm-hmm. she absolutely wasn't making any money at all. Wow. She just stayed on because she believed in me wow. and, and the company. I mean, wow. And so, yeah, she she was not yeah. getting paid at all. And so uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and uh, again, you've, you've got to have a, a support system. And so the, how you treat people when you're up, man, that's so important because you never know when it's going to happen to you. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding to now. Yeah, when I got home, uh, again, I was shell shocked. I didn't know um, how Knoxville was going to accept me. And I, and I think uh, we as humans are so hard on ourselves. Um, people move on. Mm-hmm. You know, we we tend to you know our you know kind of focus on the the negative, uh, and it's how you handle things. You you want to be transparent. You want to take ownership mm-hmm. uh, when you do make mistakes, and it doesn't have to be as as big as going to prison and and running a legal gambling operation. But as you know, you said you're going to do something. You don't go do it. Go big or go home. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah. It takes all different forms. I, I mean, uh, yeah, on all different. I, just, yeah. I went to prison because I'm writing a book, and you know, I needed something really. <laughs> I needed to, you know, have a great story, not just something little. So it's going to sell plenty of books. But uh, yeah, so coming home, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at uh, Knoxville just uh, opening their arms and receiving me and, and, you know, coming back and supporting me. So that's been amazing. And like Kelly, you know, she's, you, you know, thank you for being sweet to me and, and buy me that hamburger at Olive Oil. <laughs> <laughs> and saying, dang it, I, I, it was $5 burger day over at uh, Cafe, Cafe Four, Four. But, but I took you <laughs> had the $14 burger. <laughs> I don't want to wait. <laughs> well, that, but that is part of the legendary part of Knoxville is yes. this idea of live and let live, acceptance right of, you know, being a community that, um, you know, that em- embraces other people and is a, a place that is a welcoming you place. Sure. And so I think that really kind of hits on the Knoxville brand and the really the East Tennessee brand when you look at the larger region. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that you had that experience. So tell us how things are progressing now. And what you're most passionate about in your business? Oh well, so so we, coming back home, um, we didn't have that uh, illegal gambling money to fund, you know, uh, production and inventory and that whole deal, and so um, I had to think of a way that we would uh, reinvent ourselves. And so we ho- we did a lot of wholesale business, mm. not having that capital again, and not having uh, you know a, having a record now, and so banks will definitely not loan to you now. Right. What we had to do was sell the inventory that we had and to stay in business, and then we had to figure out how do we make a product or create a product um, that we don't have to pay for the production and the raw goods and then send it off on terms to department stores or boutiques and wait for that money. We just didn't have that option anymore. Uh, and so we we scaled down and now we're direct to consumer. That's one of the right. things we do. 
uh, we're focusing on the individual client and not uh, wholesaling and, and pushing out that way. But we also uh, started the custom suiting business. And so uh, suiting, which allows us to outsource the production of that. And so we get paid a deposit at least on uh, a blazer or a suit uh, which you pays for that product. And another thing we've started doing is fit parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, the fit party. Yeah, yeah, yeah tell I us know, about right? that. That's yes. very exciting. <laughs> and so the fit parties allows us to uh, get a group of clients and so to come and it's hosted by mm-hmm. uh, wonderful people like you. Yes. And, yeah, we're hosting one for you. There you go. And so uh, and that that person would uh, then invite friends and then we get their measurements. We create a file for them. And so uh, that allows us to call on them in future dates with their measurements and send them, you know, a blazer, a shirt or jeans or whatever they're looking for. Uh, and in doing that, uh, the fit parties have been so successful. But what we found is women have such a huge influence on men's apparel. Uh-huh. Like uh, generally yeah. a guy that's in a relationship or married will not buy unless he gets his wife appro- wife's approval. And then I thought about it. Uh, most gentlemen we get dressed to impress women. And so so we've got to kind of get, uh, you know, the women's advice and opinion on it. What do you, what do you ladies think about yeah. that? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you ask since what we do in our agency really our, you know, our core competency, what we really shine at is helping companies reach women. So in your case, talking to you about how you can reach men through the influence of women. So And that's we, and that's so very often yes. a big part of the equation is that a lot of brands if they think they have a consumer product and they do have a consumer product that is that is for men, they forget that that role, that that pathway in terms of the influencer role. Well, absolutely, and it's not just apparel. It's if you think of even non-traditional products like, say, overhead garage door openers or pest control, women are still weighing in to those decisions. Or you're mm-hmm. probably not going to buy a boat, Mark, if she doesn't want you to buy a boat or she's right. not to have some say-so in it. Right. So um, that's kind of how we've built our business. And recently we went over to your office and did a, an impromptu focus yeah. group on these fit parties. And the first thing we told you was don't call them a fit party. You still <laughs> right. call them a fit party. <laughs> The power so, of the focus group. Yeah, and this was part of the reason I wanted you to talk about that that concept because I think it's really the fit party concept is, at least at, at a conceptual level, it is something that's clearly working for you. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, Kelly, tell us about you know more about that kind well, of strategy. So, yeah, we we brainstormed around that and we decided, okay, let's do it, but let's brand it around something. So we're calling it Bourbon and Blazers. Right we're going to do bourbon tasting and have hors d'oeuvres and we're going to invite couples or single men or even mm-hmm. single women because one of the things that popped up in the focus group was that uh, it's not just about women and their partner, their spouse or whatever. It's also women who are moms or grandmothers yep. who, you know, I've got a kid who's going to be graduating from college soon and he's going to need an interview suit or somebody needs a suit for graduation. So, um, or gifts in or general, gifts yeah. in yeah. general, you got Christmas like, coming up, right. you got the holidays and mm-hmm. so what birthdays. Do you give? Sure. Yeah. Especially when kids get to an age of, you know, like 18 or 20 and you start running out of toys or video games. There's only so many of those. So we kind of talked through some of that and then you and I, Mary Beth, are going to host a bourbon and blazers event coming up at Mark Nelson Denim. And we're going to see how that goes. We're going to invite some of our couple friends. And yeah, I want to ask you this, Mark, 
Do you want to get back to the point where you're in retail or do you see this custom tailoring as being your future? That's an interesting question. I was up to uh, at 3.30 this morning thinking about the, the future of the business. And, and as a small business owner, of course, I would love the whole world to wear my, my clothing. And so, uh, but there is a process to that. Um, for Knoxville and where I'm at, the, the low-hanging fruit are these fit parties and I believe that something is missing in this day and age, and I hope we get it back, is with this fast fashion. Uh, people aren't used to concierge service. You know, mm -hmm. service is so important, and I found that people love service. And so being able to call uh, a gentleman and say, hey, it's, uh, you know, your birthday's coming up. Uh, hey, let's get you a, a blazer for your birthday, something special. Or, hey, spring, summer's coming up, the weather's changing. I've got, uh, you know, a few items pulled to the side for you that I think you could use in your wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for sure, we're, 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 the future for me um, looks, uh, you know, that custom tailoring or that styling uh, uh, part of the business. But uh, the big deal now, Kel, is obviously uh, it's going to be hard moving forward to the future without e-commerce. Right. And and so that's so important, but that's a, a whole nother business I'm finding, you know. Right, right. It's really hard to to focus on brick and mortar and do e-commerce really well. And so uh, I'm going to pitch you with this idea after after today, and we're going to have to have part okay. two of this conversation. I okay, need your we will. <laughs> I love brainstorming these kinds of business problems. I, I think you're on to something, though, with the whole custom and tailoring and getting back to a high level of service. Mm -hmm. I've done some price comparison, comparing, and really your custom is not, much more than what you go out and you pay in a, a department store, but you're getting to choose fabrics, linings, buttons. It's and the fit quality. You the it's quality. the quality piece. I mean, and, yes. and my husband has the retailer will remain nameless, but um, he has been a customer. That, I mean, since he was really a kid, because his parents sort of uh, it was a guide, yeah, 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 guided him to that particular yeah, retailer. Sure. But he is he has complained over the past, I'd say, five to seven years in particular that you know the buttons are falling off, the there's right. strings hanging off of it. They're just the quality that this particular retailer was known for for years and years has clearly fallen off, and that is a lot of what you see in retail right now it's not just the service no, or lack right. thereof it's a quality deficit and so you're filling that gap with not only the, the that concierge and the high touch kind of service but really the quality ethic and, and made in the USA right you, you so yeah, yeah. so much of what we purchase now is made overseas and in China and the quality has suffered now i want to circle back real quick before we wrap up here because i want to know Mark, I'm, I'm so inspired by your story. What do you tell people who um, have undergone some serious personal failure? What do you tell them about how to turn things around? Oh, wow. That's a great question. And uh, this is one of the things that I, I say to myself each and every day. I am one mistake away from success. So you never know when that mm. one more try, that one more, you know, just a, that you just never know. Uh, and I'm sure you ladies have have experienced that where in one moment you thought that the world was going to come to an end and then the next moment uh, you, you you hit the lottery or whatever that big deal is. And it and keeps so, you going. And it keeps you going. Uh, and and the, the reality is, is that we all have problems. 
There's not a human being alive that doesn't have some adversity. If, you, if you've if you never made a mistake, if you've never fallen down, then please uh, call in the show or right, send me right. an email or, <laughs> right. or something. Cricket, and, uh, cricket. Yeah, yeah, there we'll you send go. you I, out I a free pair of there's, jeans. There's, <laughs> there's, any, uh, there's not a person that hasn't uh, made a mistake. Right, and so right. don't focus on the, the, the negative. Always uh, you know, focus on the positive. And, and where do you want to be? Again, it's the process. And, and for me, and, and I believe you're the same, Kelly, because we have similar souls is I love the grind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it's the, the journey. It, you know, I journey. do. I love the grind. I, I enjoyed that. And so, uh, again, uh, good or bad days, uh, I'm just just be happy to be alive. Uh, and because some of us are so, you know, we're not here to see that, you know, and how many people do you know that have passed away, died yeah. uh, through high school to, you know, today? And so we don't know what, to, you know, tomorrow brings to us. And so, again, focus on the positive that, hey, I'm here and I have the ability to make a change mm-hmm. now. You know, mm-hmm. as long as I'm living and I'm breathing, and I'm able to move, I can take a negative and turn it to a positive. And so that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. All. And that's like a kind of a spiritual piece yeah. of that. And Amen. I think in business very often that part of the equation or even that part of the story gets swept aside as part of as part of the entrepreneurial journey this idea of um, kind of a faith path yeah, that emerges as part of coming out of very difficult situations and you know part of our podcast because it's called misinterpreted for a reason because we are all about dispelling myths we're all about dispelling misconceptions and things like that and I think that what you've talked about has dispelled so many myths about how someone can go through a um, you know through through mistakes made through uh, you know a, a, a path that was regrettable but still being able to turn that around in a way and overcome quite a bit of um, adversity, adversity yeah. as yeah Amen. as part of that mm-hmm. that it, it, it's truly a remarkable story. Um, so tell us what's the next big thing for Mark Nelson Denham as you look to twenty twenty and what the upcoming year holds. Uh, th- for us, it's uh, I would like to uh, we've got a project uh, with Chef Tim Love. I, I just got back from Dallas and uh, oh. working on that. And so uh, uh, in the next couple of years, yeah. we'd I'd like to open uh, additional brick and mortars that would do. Uh, the concierge service. I mean, obviously Knoxville is our hub and we love Knoxville home, but uh, we want to enter to uh, uh, bigger cities, which mm-hmm. with more money, obviously more more people. Uh, and so, and just and just grow it from there. And then from there, we'll get the uh, more uh, inventory or more data with clients and, uh, and build off of that. And we hope to have uh, another three to five stores open in the next three years. That's so exciting. Right on. Marcus, I love you. I love you too, <laughs> Kelly. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story, your personal story and your business one. And Mary Beth and I are so excited about yeah. hosting our own upcoming Bourbon and Blazers Insiders Party. Not fit parties, Bourbon Not and Blazers. Not a fit bourbon party. No. <laughs> yeah, we got to be on brand Something here. Something fundamentally wrong with that name. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> listeners, you can find out more about the store at marknelsondenham.com, and that's Mark with a C, and follow the store on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to follow the Misinterpreted Podcast. We will respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag misinterpreted, and that's hashtag MS interpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. You can also follow me on Twitter at KD Fletcher and at Fletcher PR and follow Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. Special thanks to Chris Hill of Knoxville-based HumblePod at HumblePod.com. And thanks for joining us. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. 
You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 